Okay, let's uh, take our Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy. If you're a guest with us this morning um, or new to our church in one way or another, our practice here is that we take a book of the Bible and we work our way through one by one. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to live long enough to get all through all, all the books of the Bible, but uh, whoever follows me, I'll give them a good head start anyway. So um, we're, we, uh, this year, we started in 2 Timothy. And if you're using one of the Bibles that's in the back of the seat in front of you, you'll find this on page 1414, 1414. And we've reached up to verse 8 early on in this series and um, I've been excited uh, to get to share with you what I've discovered this week Uh, not that I'm not excited on other Sundays but uh, there's this is an amazing paragraph we're going to look at verse 8 to 14 but um, uh, we're going to take the core of it or 8 to 12 really but we're going to take the core of it today and then look at the the bookends that this core fits in between next week um, but let me read um, uh, 8 to 12 i'll read 8 to 12 even though our focus will be on verse 9 and 10 paul writes therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our lord or of me his prisoner But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher for this reason I also suffer these things but I am not ashamed for I know who whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day well, uh, those of you who know me know that I could go on for a couple months uh, with everything that's in that, that paragraph, but I'll try to restrain myself just to two weeks. And like I, like I said, I'd like to take the core of it. That as I studied this passage, I, I noticed that it, it really is bookended, and I'll show you the bookends next week, Lord, Lord willing. But the center of it is there in verse 9 and 10. I want to read that again. He speaks of God at the end of verse 8, and it says, God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now, in contrast to all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is an amazing passage. You notice right there in verse 9 as it starts, he says, who saved us and called us. 
um, don't know if you, you realize this, but that, that word calling that's used, it's used over and over in the scripture. It's almost synonymous with the word save. Like we can say that God has saved us, but, but, but the scripture also says he has, he has called us. It's another way the scripture speaks about what God does in a person's life when he, when, when that person reaches the point where they are reconciled to God, because we all start off with a big problem. We're not reconciled to God. And, and how do we get to that point? Uh, one way scripture speaks of that is it's, it's a calling. And that's what I want to speak about this morning is our calling from this verse. Sometimes we, we use that word calling. We think about preachers and missionaries, that they were called to be a preacher or called to be a missionary. This is something much more fundamental, much more basic. This word is being used here about all of us. If, if you're a Christian, you've been called. Okay? It, it's what God has done to all of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, so this is the very second verse of 1 Corinthians. It's the way Paul is starting that letter. He says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now, we remember we have a problem with that word saint because it's been used in ways that makes like a, the common way the word saint is used. A saint is some kind of uber-Christian. Some kind of special person. But in the scriptures, it's actually just the opposite. A saint is anyone who God has reconciled to himself. So he says, you're called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if anyone who has called on the name of the Lord, it's because God first has worked in them and has called them. He's calling us to Christ. So that's the calling. And I want to make three observations this morning about our calling and draw them from this passage. So three observations. First of all, I want, to, want us to think about the character of our calling. Look again at verse 9. It says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. A holy calling. Holy, we've spoken about that in the past too. That word holy actually in its root, it means to be set apart. So if something is holy, it's set apart. It's set apart from where it came from. It's set apart from other purposes. It's, it's reserved for something special. And in that sense, because it, it's, it is a pure God, a sinless God that is calling us. The word holy means it's clean too and pure. We're being set apart out of our uncleanness and set apart to him. But that basic idea is not so much cleanness, but being set apart. Growing up in my uh, parents' home, my mom was and still is. She's a seamstress. She sews. And so I kind of got used to all the paraphernalia that comes along with sewing. And then I married a woman who sews. And so there's all this cool stuff. And I learned a few things, even though I haven't, because I grew up in my mom's house and I'm now in my wife's house, I don't sew. Uh, I don't have to. But I noticed, did you know that not every pair of scissors is the same? My wife is nodding her head. She didn't know I'm going to tell this story. 
there are scissors that are holy scissors. <laughs> holy meaning set apart. There are scissors, and it's an interesting thing. In our house, the same bin that we uh, keep all of our wrapping paper, you know, you get, especially every Christmas, but all the wrapping paper and bows and all that kind of stuff happens to be in the same room where all the sewing is in. But you do not grab the sewing scissors to cut wrapping paper. Amen. Amen. It's holy. These are holy scissors. And, I, and I'm not, you know, making fun because they're actually like, these are actually expensive scissors made for one purpose and they're good for that purpose. So you don't use it for other purposes. Yeah, all, a lot of you ladies are saying, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the way we are, friends. If, if you've been called by God, called and reconciled to God through Christ, you're set apart. You're now set apart from where you came from. But, but first of all, what do you set apart to? Is this great? Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, because in that chapter he speaks about it, this calling. But in verse 9, I love this verse. Listen to this. He says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son. That's what we're set apart for. See, God calls into our lives and sets us apart. And here's the beauty of it for himself. He, he's drawing us to himself. He's calling us to himself in Christ. We now have fellowship with him. We didn't used to. Now we do. So he's called us to that. Well, what has he called us away from? Well, he's called us away from what got us in trouble in the first place. And that is all of our sin and all of our purposes that we live our life for that are godless, meaning God's not in the equation as we make our decisions, as we set direction for our life, uh, as we have purposes in our life, they don't really involve God at all. That kind of life, God's calling us out of that and out of the all of that, and he's called us to fellowship with himself through Christ. And then what happens because of the character of this calling being set apart? What happens? Well, again, Paul uses this word and he talks about this in Ephesians. And I'll just read the verse for you in Ephesians chapter four. So this is chapter four. So in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he's been talking about this calling. And then in, a, in kind of a uh, theoretical way, not totally theoretical, but he's trying to get us to understand the big picture. And then he gets to chapter four. And he says, now, therefore, he says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. He says, now let's get practical. You've been set apart by God. He's called you into fellowship with himself. Now walk worthy. Your life now has to change. Your life has to reflect this calling that's on your life. And then he goes on and he mentions some things. And actually, the, the next three chapters are all of the details. But he starts off and he says... Walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, 
being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And that's how he starts the details. You see, one who has been truly called of God out and then to himself, that person, he or she, is going to live differently. And our relationships are the first place that shows up. That in our relationships with each other, we are changed. There's humility and gentleness, patience, tolerance, love, diligence, unity, peace. Those things start to permeate our relationships instead of all the opposite that used to be there. And so as, before we move on to the next thought, I just want to ask you this question. If you yourself are confident that that calling of God has been on your life, that you have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, are you walking worthy of the calling? The question is, are you living that way? Is your life reflecting the calling that is on your life that God has called you to himself? Think about it. Now, second, second observation. And that is, we've, we've looked at the character of our calling. Back then at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, we see the foundation of our calling. The foundation of our calling. I'll look at verse 9 again. It says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. And now he, he's going to talk about the foundation first in a negative way and then in a positive. He's trying to make a point here. And I'm going to try to make the same point. He says negatively, not according to our works. And then positively, he says, but according to his own purpose and grace. Let's take it one at a time. Negatively, he's saying that the foundation of our calling, the foundation of being reconciled with God is not, he says, according to our works. Works is Bible talk. For what we do works. That's what that means. What we do. And so he's saying here, he's trying to make it clear that when we're reconciled with God at its most foundational level, we are reconciled with God, not because of what we do, which is exactly the opposite of what we all normally and naturally think, right? We, we all think that if I'm going to get reconciled with God, it's because of, I'm going to do something to make myself reconciled with God. And the wonder of grace and the, and the marvelous core of the message of this fantastic book is that actually that's wrong. It's not because of what you do. The foundation of being reconciled with God rests in God, not in us. We're the ones that messed it up. (laughs) God's the one that fixes it. See, then he goes on again in verse 9, and he states the positive. He says, but according to his own purpose and grace. The point you see here is that God did not call us according to what we did or what we do or what we will do, but according to his purpose and his grace. You see, he didn't look into your life and say, oh, she deserves this. 
I'll reconcile her to myself. Or, oh, he's going to do something good, or he'll do something good for me. I'm going to reconcile him to myself. That's not the way it works. Instead, it points to his purpose and his grace, verse 9 does. So you see, his calling is undeserved. And it was caused by something in him, not by something in me. So simple, yet so resisted. But I'm telling you by the authority of this book that it is true. You are reconciled to God fundamentally because of who God is, not because of who you are. And my friend, I'm going to tell you something. That's good news. Because God is a God of grace, and we are people who mess everything up. Who here hasn't messed everything up? Don't raise your hand. I've messed things up. You've messed things up. The great message of the scripture is that you don't have to fix everything so that God then accepts you. The message is is that he, because of who he is, he will reach down into your life and reconcile you to himself. Now, here's the problem. Here's part of our problem. Maybe we've gotten over the hump. The first, the first hurdle we have to come over in our mind is, is that I can't earn this reconciliation with God. I can't earn salvation by the good things that I do. So we get over that hump and say, okay, I, I can't earn it. But I know in my head that I have to believe, I have to trust Jesus Christ in order to be reconciled with God, in order to be saved, in order for this calling to take expression in my life. I'm using different words that the Bible uses. So I'm not going to trust in the good things I do, but I know I have to believe. If I don't believe, I'm not reconciled with God. If I do believe, I am. So I know that I've got to believe in order to be reconciled with God. And then, so here's the problem. So we begin to think that somehow the foundation of our salvation is our faith. But it's not. It's not. Faith's there. But, but fundamentally, the foundation is in God not even in your faith. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Many of you, if you've been in the church many years, you can, you can quote these verses to me. But let me, let me explain. He says, and he's saying the same thing that he's saying in 2 Timothy, but he adds something in there I want to explain. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Isn't that great? And he's, much of it is the same as what he's, we've already seen in Second Timothy. For by grace you've been saved, but he adds here, through faith, not a result of works, so that no one will boast. So the way he's speaking here, he is not presenting faith as the foundation of your salvation, he is presenting faith as the avenue through which you get connected to a salvation that has as its foundation something else. That's a mouthful. But did you get it? Somebody nod and make me feel good. 
Okay, good. Somebody even waved their hand. Thank you. Now, how do I know that this is true? Because of verse 9. Look at the end of... Oh, you don't, I haven't turned you there. Sorry. Uh, Ephesians 2, 9. It says, Not as a result of works, so that... Listen. So that no one will boast. This, this, there's, there's something in here. In heaven, we're not going to be boasting about what we do, and we're not going to be boasting about our faith. Amen? Listen, boasting, what is boasting? Boasting is praise, but it's praise that's turned back on the one who's praising. Got it? Boasting is when I'm praising something, the only problem is the something is me. (laughs) So boasting is praise that gets turned back on the one who's speaking. But he's saying in heaven, and the way God saves people, The way he reconciles people to himself results in a heaven where there's no boasting. Amen? There's no boasting there. When we're walking around in heaven, I'm going to say, Hey, dude, I can't believe you're here. (laughs) Isn't this great? Yeah, this is great. You should have seen me, man. You should have seen me believe. I believe, man. Is that, the, is that what's going on in heaven? And he's saying, no, that's nothing. You should have seen me believe the way I believed. So we're going to all be up in heaven talking about what we did, did to get there? No. The praise. Let me tell you something. There's going to be praising, though. And we're going to be praising Jesus Christ and our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because of what he did and got us there. Amen. There's actually another verse that says that we, our boasting will be in Christ, which is, is plain with words. We're going to boast about him, which isn't really boasting, it's praising. We're going to boast in heaven about the root cause of our salvation. And that is outside of ourselves. And that's why there's not really going to be any boasting there at all. You see... A pastor's fear, one of a pastor's fears, depending on which pastor you are, you have more or less. But one of my fears is that people will think that they're reconciled with God and they're going to be okay, but they're not okay. People will think that they're reconciled with God, but they're actually not because down really in their heart, they're actually trusting in themselves rather than trusting completely in Jesus Christ. And I want you to ask yourself this morning, what are you, what are you trusting in? At the rock bottom foundation of your hope That in judgment day, it's all going to be okay. What's that foundation in your heart? Is it you and what you've done or even in your own faith? Or is it Jesus Christ? Jesus is what we're to trust in. Amen. Now, third, and I've saved usually those of you who know me, I usually speak longer on the first point. 
and actually see what happens. I let you in on a secret. I run out of time, so everything gets shorter as we go. But I've saved the most for this last point. I want you to see this. This is exciting. I want us to look at the timeline. Third, third observation from Second Timothy nine and verse nine and ten. The timeline of our calling. We can discern in here four points on a timeline that have to do with our being called into fellowship with God. And there's four points. One, two, three, four. And if in your mind you don't understand this and you don't live with all four in your mind, your experience of your own salvation is going to be truncated. It's going to be, you're going to be limping. You're, it's not going to be the full expression of his salvation in your life. Many of us live with one or two. Uh, some do. Some live with three. But when you get all four in your mind and you just ask God, teach me this, make this real, all the implications of each of these four points on the timeline. Make me understand them, Lord. Help me understand this and experience this. My friend, it changes your life. Look again at verse 9 now, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. And try to pick out. Some are clear, some are inferred here. He says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Now the timeline starts, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Ah, this is good stuff. This is what I've been waiting for to tell you. Okay. Point one, point one, the story of your salvation, your personal salvation begins in eternity past, eternity past. You see that there at the end of verse nine, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So the beginning of your salvation is there. And this is the very verse that we were looking at that speaks about the foundation of your salvation and mine, the calling of God. It's not in me. If the foundation of my being reconciled with God is actually in me, then, then, then the story of my salvation would, in one sense, it would begin with me, right? If that's the actual real foundation is me, then it starts with me. But the scripture teaches that my salvation started before I ever showed up. And and my friend, if you think that you're good enough to reconcile yourself back with God, then you're not concerned about this. But if you've realized that you can't reconcile yourself back to God, you are so grateful for this truth. That it is God in his grace. The two words he uses here. In his grace and in his purpose. From eternity past. He said, I'm going to save him. I'm going to call her. And it started back then. And the purpose of God is set there. Before I ever showed up. It runs against 
our own sinful hearts that somehow want to be able to say that we're responsible for our own reconciliation with God. But my friend, let that sinful part of you die. Let it be humbled and in the dust. And just look up to God and say, you are the Savior, not me. So it starts in eternity past. The second point on the timeline is Christ's first coming. The first time Christ came. Look at verse 10. After he just said, in Christ Jesus from all eternity. That's the way verse 9 ends. Then he says, but... Now, now that's in contrast, now this calling of God has been revealed, how? By the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. The first coming of Christ now, he comes. And I'm still not here, right? I'm not around yet. But so the first two parts of the timeline, I'm not even here. God in eternity purposes and grace to do something. And then he sends his son, the second person of the Trinity. This is, this is exciting. He's born. So the Trinity always messes with our mind. We can't actually get our head around it. We accept it. So there's three person, persons, but one being. There aren't three gods. It's one God and three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. In eternity, the plan is set. God is saying, I'm going to save people. And then, as part of the plan, the second person of the Trinity comes and becomes one of us. That's what Christmas is all about. He becomes a human being. And he lives with no sin, not unlike you and me. And then he goes to the cross. And on the cross, he pays the penalty that you and I couldn't pay. And he can pay it because he's a human like you are. And he can pay it for many because he's God like you are not. He has the capacity now to pay the penalty for many. But he's a human, so he can't, he's qualified to pay it for humans. And there on the cross, the justice of God is satisfied as the judge of all eternity punishes the stand-in for the sinner. That's me and you. Amen? This is beautiful. And then he's dead. The payment cost him his life. And he's buried. But on the third day, he rises from the dead. He is alive. And so many days later, he ascends into heaven. And that, my friend, is the second great point on the timeline of our calling. Amen? God in eternity, he purposes it in his grace. Christ comes and accomplishes all that needs done to take away the guilt of our sin, to take away the penalty of our sin. He accomplishes it. In history, in this place called Israel. I mean, it's a place and a time and he does it in human history. Now, you and I aren't saved yet. Amen? We're still not. Okay, and then fast forward to 19 whenever. Most of us were born in the 1900s. I'm not sure, Jack, you might have been born in the 1800s on that. No, 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 no. He wears that as a badge of pride, buddy. I, I hope I live as long as you and doing as well as you. So we're born and we're, 
we're coming along and we, soon the whole world knows what our mother knew within a month or two. We're sinners. And so, so we're not reconciled with God, but there's this timeline going on from eternity and Christ came. But what happens? But I'm not yet reconciled with God. And then what's inferred here, I want you to, to see it here. The third part is you and I trusting Christ, believing in Jesus Christ. But you can see it there kind of at the end of verse 10 and then into 11. So I'll, I'll read verse 10. It says, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see that? So the gospel is a message about the second point on the timeline, what Christ did. And he says, for which I was appointed a preacher. He was appointed as a preacher. So what's happened is, is now in my lifetime, somewhere, somehow, there's a preacher, or it could have been a book, or it could have been a, just a neighbor or a friend talking to me. But the message about the second point on the timeline gets spoken to me. And I hear it. That's the gospel. I hear it. And then... God, and we talked about this last week, God's spirit is working in me and he opens my eyes and he softens my heart and I trust in Jesus Christ. And now I experience, I come into the life and begin this life with Christ. I'm reconciled with God. Amen. That wasn't very loud. Amen. Amen. Okay, so now some theologians, and this is an oversimplification. And again, when we talk about the Trinity, it messes with your mind. So you never quite get it right. So if we understand that to begin with, they say it this way. They say that the Father in eternity planned and purposed our salvation. The Son comes and accomplishes our salvation. And then the Spirit takes that and applies our salvation to us. Amen? The triune God is doing this. So, so God, God plans it. And then Christ comes and he accomplishes all that needs done. But then here we are, every generation we're born. And the spirit of God moves according to the purpose of God in eternity. And he comes into my life and he changes me. And he brings me to that point where I see Christ as the answer to my problem. And I trust he doesn't believe for me. He doesn't come inside of me and believe. I believe. But I would never have believed if he hadn't have done this work in me. So he works in me and I see Christ and I trust Jesus Christ. And now I've got this calling. It's now mine. Amen. Man, I don't know where you are in your own life. <clears throat> but but if, if you're not sure, <clears throat> if you're not sure... That you've actually trusted in Jesus Christ. Man, talk to one of us. Excuse me. <clears throat> talk to one of us. And, and, and look up to God. And don't let go of God until you know he's got a hold of you. Because there's often a process going on in your life when you're over here. And he's working in you. And he's opening your eyes. You're starting to understand things you didn't understand before. You're beginning to realize that, wait a minute. You know, I was hoping I was okay with God. But maybe I'm not. Man, I've, I've gone through that. And then it comes to a point where you see everything and you trust in Christ 
not in what you do, not in what you even believe, not in yourself at all. You trust in him and you enter into this new life. Man, you don't want to miss that, my friend. You don't want to miss that. Now we're done, right? We've talked about salvation. We've talked about this calling, right? Wrong. And this is the cool part. And but so many Christians today, we 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 get well, many don't even think about number one. But many think about two and three. We th- we think that's salvation, two and three. We we don't we're not aware that it goes back even further. But then some of us we get that, so we got one, two, and three, and we great. No man, I'm gonna tell you, it gets greater. Because there's another one, number four. Oh, man. It's Christ's second coming and all that that means. And it's right in here. And I'll, I'll see where it, it's, it's kind of veiled a little bit. But he, he speaks about it openly in other places. But here's where, <clears throat> here's where it is. Look in verse 10 again. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Watch. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality. Immortality to light through the gospel. Listen, I am saved. I am confident that I am experiencing the calling, this calling we've been talking about. God and his grace worked in my life and has changed me. But I got to tell you something. I'm not immortal yet. Right? My salvation is not yet complete in in that sense. The foundation of it, all that Christ did, that's all complete. But the experience of it, the bringing of it to completion is not yet done. In God's plan, it's not yet time. And he has us here. But my friend, I'm telling you, there is a eternity future peace to our salvation. And it begins with his second coming. Christ is coming again. And that key word there, immortality, my friend, immortality. That is what Jesus died to ultimately give us. Now we are saved and we know that we have eternal life, but we still go to funerals. And as a preacher, I go to a lot of them and I speak at a lot of them and I don't like them and neither do you. But my friend, one day there will never be another funeral again. And you say, well, when is this immortality going to happen? Well, it's when Jesus comes. Let me read you 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to this. You can turn there if you want. It's 15 verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning we will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, 
and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. And this mortal, here comes the word, must put on immortality. You notice the must there. The purpose of God in eternity past was not just to save us here so that we can grow old and start hurting more and eventually can't work for ourselves anymore and eventually somebody puts us somewhere until we die. But our souls are okay. That's not the purpose. The purpose back here is that he's going to undo everything that evil has done in this world. And that includes aging and dying. That's what mortality is. The end of salvation is immortality. In a body, a glorified body, immortal. Amen? This is where we're going. This is where we're going. It's, that's what the resurrection of the dead is. And that, my friend, is all tied in with Easter. Man, we've got Christmas and Easter all today. Listen, it goes on. He says, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then and not until then, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Well, it's still here now. But there's coming a day when it will not be here. Amen? And that's where the salvation of God is moving. That's where the calling gets to, is there. And that's where, if you've answered that calling, and you yourself have trusted in Christ, you've tasted it, and you know that that's where you're going. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. What he's saying here is that salvation will be completed. And we need to understand that we live in a time in the in-between. And, and we, we have salvation, marvelous results of salvation. We're reconciled with God. We've begun this walk with God. But there's a time, my friend, where faith will be turned to sight. And we're going to be raised up out of the graves again. It's not a fairy tale. Jesus, they thought it was a fairy tale that the Messiah would come. Well, he came. Now people make fun of us and say, well, there's a fairy tale that he's coming again. I'm saying, no, no, no. He did it the first time. He's going to do it the second time. And when he comes the second time, whenever that is, I don't know if it's in my lifetime or not. I don't know. I'm not going to try to figure it out. But when it comes, there's the resurrection day. So all that God's purpose will now become complete. And I will actually possess immortality man it's going to put all the pharmaceutical companies out of business no offense if you're in a pharmaceutical company we need you now but not then actually we're not going to need preachers I don't know exactly what I'm going to do but in the new heavens and the new earth I'm thinking he might give me a part of West Virginia wilderness to manage that'd be good that'd be good I'd like that and you can come visit me I'm not sure how it's all going to work 
But all that was twisted by sin will be untwisted. All justice will be served. His creation will be set anew. And we will be immortal. And my friends, it's easy for us to live forgetting point number four on the time scale. And what happens when we forget that? I'll tell you one thing that happens. We put our hope in the wrong things. Um, we put our hope perhaps in our financial stability and uh, the forecast for the future. We put our hope in it. We have to be involved in that. We have to think about that. We're not ignorant of it. But our hope, where's our hope? You see, when we live with number, point number four in our mind, that's our hope. Amen? And we can handle whatever comes on in the middle when that's our hope. If I live forgetting number four on the timeline, I get depressed. I can get depressed and down. I can give up and I can think that, that uh, what I do isn't worth anything. It's not worth it. Nothing's, nothing's happening. But when I remember number four and I live in light of it, I press on. And I do what God's asked me to do. And you do what God's asked you to do, knowing that as you surrender yourself to God and just do what he's calling you to do, you leave how it all works out up to him. You know that he's taking all of that and he's using it for his purposes. And we press on. And I hope in Christ and not in, thing, in other things. And I know that he takes my efforts and he makes them count. And I know also that all of the results of how everything's going in the world doesn't rest on my shoulders. For some of you, you need to learn that. Not everybody, but for some of us, we walk around with too much on our shoulders. You got to realize number four is coming. The one that everyone is going to applaud is not me. It's Jesus Christ. Amen? The one who's going to fix everything is not me. It's Christ. Amen? He's coming so I can relax and just do whatever he's asked me to do. He's the one who's going to actually fix it all. And I'm going to tell you something too. When I live with number four firmly in view in my mind, I can smile at my own death. You know, one day they're going to, I don't know if you'll be around, but they're going to take me and it'll be the first time I'll have makeup on. <laughs> they're going to lay me in this box and put makeup on me and say, doesn't he look good? <laughs> because if, if Jesus doesn't come back before that, that's what's going to happen to every single one of us in this room. Because we're, the salvation piece isn't complete yet. That day hasn't come yet. I'm not immortal now. My spirit will live on, but I'm not immortal yet. But you know what? I can smile at that. I can smile at that. Because I can say, death, you're going to get me. You're going to get me, death. Because that's the way it is. But I'm going to tell you something. There's an empty grave in Jerusalem that tells me that in the end, I'm going to get you. Because the one who rose up out of that grave, I've been reconciled to him. And the power that he has over life and death is now mine. And you know what? One day, (laughs) Mr. Death, you're going to put me right six feet under. But you know what? I'm going to come busting out of that grave. When that trumpet sounds, I'm going to be alive. And I'm going to look at you and say, oh, death, where is your victory? 
Oh, death, where's your sting now, baby? (laughs) Sorry, I'm getting carried away. And it's gone. It's gone. That's what the scripture's teaching us. There's a day coming where it's gone. The last enemy. Remember, scripture says the last enemy, death, is done with completely. Because of point two on the chart. Because of what Christ did. But it's going to happen. And then it goes back all the way to God's purposes in it. Oh, my friend. Do you have this calling? That's the last question I got to ask you. Is this calling in your life? Oh, I hope it is. And maybe you haven't thought about these kind of things before. I want you to think about it and pray about it. Be serious with God. Don't be flippant, but think about it and say, well, what is this? Go back to the Bible. Don't take my word for it. Read it, read it, read it, read it yourself and see, is that really what it's saying? I'm confident that it is. And then answer that call of God when you sense it in your own life that God is saying something to you. And he's saying, he's saying, look, Christ has come. He's died. And now if you trust in him, you will enter into this reconciliation with me. That's what God's saying. And I would urge you, answer that call. Amen? Answer that call. Trust yourself in Christ and know what it means to be reconciled with him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, my heart has been full and there's so much to say. And I don't know that I've said it clearly, but where it's unclear, I just ask that your spirit would make it clear and that what you want each one here to hear, that they would hear it regardless of me. I pray, Father, that each of us would appreciate and understand more and more the salvation that we have. And that we would, in our heart of hearts, be trusting, not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ, to be reconciled with you. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.